amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun then shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you also know. Him being delivered by the determinate purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David said concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in haze, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. But you have known, made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseen who spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in haze, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of whom we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this perverse or crooked generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly. In the 
apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as everyone had need. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word to us this evening. Well, my exercise this evening is very simple. I'd just like to start at the beginning. Where did we start? Our beginning. And uh, in the will of the Lord next week, I'd like to look at the conclusion. Well, I don't mean the beginning of this hall. I remember when I was five, walking through this hall on scaffold boards to get to the little hall at the back when this was just a building site. And uh, I'm sure if you speak to Uncle Phil afterwards, he can go back even further than that. But I remember the hall being built, and I remember walking through it on a Sunday to get to the little hall at the back that's now been removed, and uh, this hall has now been completed for many years. But no, it's not this local church I want to think about this evening. It's the beginning of the church. It's good to go back, isn't it, and to think, where did all this start from? Our little gathering like this, when we're gathering together around the Word of God, as you know, especially for the young ones that are here, it's not just here. There are believers that meet in Cambridge at Roseford. There are believers in Stowmarket Market, throughout our town in different places, many towns throughout the country, and of course throughout the world. We can read and learn and have fellowship with believers that love the Lord Jesus and are gathering to the Lord's name. We know, of course, some of your, your own family and uncle and auntie are meeting with the Lord's people in the jungle in Angola. And uh, there are believers, aren't there, in all sorts of different places. But where did it all begin? Where did it start? Well, I want to be very simple this evening, and of course it starts here in uh, Acts chapter 2. What we're talking about, of course, is the beginning of the church. When did it begin? Well, if you look in your Old Testament and you read it very carefully, you will discover that you won't find it, no matter how hard you search. The church in which this period of history that we're now living in was something that God did not reveal to the prophets. They saw the coming of Christ when he was born at Bethlehem, and they looked beyond when he'll come again and stand on the Mount of Olives, and every eye will see him. But the bit in between, they did not see that's the bit that we are historically now living through, the church age, as the Bible would uh, uh, refer to it. This period that God is doing a unique work among what we would call the Gentiles. Having left the Jews, and the gospel goes to the Jews, but also to the whole world, as it always had done, even in Old Testament times. The principles on the way that God works has never changed even though we might live through different ages in which God deals with people. You think of the days of Naaman. He had to learn to be humble before God and to obey him and to believe in him, just as it does here on the day of Pentecost that we're going to consider. So we won't discover the church in the Old Testament. It's something that was hidden. But the first notice that we have, the first revelation of the church that's coming, is by the Lord Jesus himself. He promises in Matthew chapter 16, when he was speaking to the disciples, that he was going to commence a work, and this work is going to be finished. 
He was asking his disciples about what people thought about him. And uh, they were giving him various answers, you remember, of course. And then the Lord said to the disciples, but who do you say that I am? And it was Peter, so often the spokesman of the group, didn't he? Wasn't he? And he said to the Lord Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord had to say to Peter that you are blessed because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, the Lord says. God has revealed this to you, Peter, that you should have such an appreciation of who the Lord Jesus is, that Peter could confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in Matthew 16 and verse 15, the Lord says that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These verses we need to understand because they're greatly misrepresented in the world and in, in worldly speak uh, today. The Lord Jesus says that he would give to Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Not the keys of, of heaven. You know, people talk about their jokes, don't they? That Peter has the keys of heaven and he will let people into heaven. It could not be further from the truth. What God gave to Peter was this. He says that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. The name means Peter meant a stone. The Lord Jesus wasn't talking about Peter. He wasn't going to build the church upon Peter. No. What the Lord Jesus was going to build the church upon was the confession, the proclamation of truth that Peter had just proclaimed. That the Lord Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And of course, that's exactly what we see when we go into the Acts. When there were those who were saved, you remember the Ethiopian? He said to Philip, didn't he? See, here is water when he became a Christian. What's stopping me from being baptised? And Philip said to him, if you believe, then you may. And what did he confess? He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That was the basis of his salvation and of his confession, the beginning of the building of the church. The church was built upon the foundation of Christ. You remember Saul, that wicked man, who so persecuted Christians, had them put into prison and had them even put to death. He became a Christian when he saw the risen Lord. And what was he found doing? We discover him very soon after he became a Christian. He was in the synagogue and he was preaching that Christ is the Son of God. This is the foundation of the church. And the Apostle would remind us that we are built upon the foundation of the Apostles and Prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner stone. So the beginning of this, not the building, but this little company when it began here all those years ago and in every other company around the world and in our towns is upon the foundation of Christ Jesus alone. The declaration, the confession that Peter made that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The word church simply means ecclesia, it's a, the Greek word means ecclesia, it means a calling out, an assembly. That's why I often refer to our gatherings as a local church or assembly. It just means an assembling of ourselves together, just like you had a school assembly. Not that you had one, right? But 
when he used to have school assemblies before the pandemic, it's when the school has gathered together. And it's the same thought in the scriptures, that when Christians are gathered together, it's an assembly, a gathering together unto the Lord Jesus. Uh, special as a gathering of uh, believers together. It's an assembly. The Lord Jesus said to Peter that I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now this didn't mean, as we said, that people uh, talk about Peter letting people into heaven. That wasn't what the Lord Jesus says. It's a complete uh, travesty of the truth. Because what the Lord Jesus gave the privilege to Peter, and not to Peter alone, it was also to all the apostles. He gave them the privilege of opening up the way into the kingdom. And Peter was the first, and we read of him in Acts. That was when he began to preach the gospel, and the church age began. Peter was given the privilege, because the Lord had told them, and he told them all, didn't he, at the end of Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things what I have commanded you. And lo, I'm, all, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Three things was the commission the Lord Jesus gave the apostles, and he gave us as the people of God. And it was never to see people saved. It was to make disciples. That's all the difference in the world. You know, we can ask people to put their hands up and make a Christian. But what the Lord says, we're to make disciples. Those who are going to follow him. Those who are going to commit their lives to Christ. Because their lives are based upon the foundation that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And if we really believe that, it will transform and change our lives. And having done that, the evidence of that, the Lord says that we should be baptised. And then when they've been baptised, they should be taught to teach them all things that I have commanded you. How important are all three? That we, how wonderful it is that God's given us the privilege to preach the gospel. We're not responsible for the results. We're told to be faithful and to preach the gospel. Salvation, as Jonah says, is of the Lord. But those who are saved, we need to disciple them, to teach them, to join a company, to be baptised and to continue in the truth of the word of God. So the Lord says we are to discipline, disciple rather, to baptise and to teach. And Peter began this work on the day of Pentecost. He began it in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 1. The day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost simply means the 50th day. It was the 50th day. If we go to Leviticus and chapter 23, you've got to look at them all up now. There are three main feasts in Leviticus chapter 23, when the Jews were gathered at Jerusalem for these special feasts. You know, of course, the Jews had many special feasts, and one of the first one on the 14th of the first month of the year was the Feast of Passover. And that was why the Jews gathered together uh, in Jerusalem. And that, of course, when the Lord Jesus came to be the Passover lamb, all the Jews were gathered at Jerusalem, and uh, there was a great company of, of believers from all over gathered in Jerusalem. Then after that, there is also the Feast of First Fruits. And again, how wonderful this was. This was the time of barley harvest, when the, uh, the Jews would gather at the beginning of the harvest. They would take the first sheaf, 
and they presented it to the priest who would wave it before the Lord on the day after the Sabbath. How wonderful and complete the word of God is. This was speaking of Christ, as all the feasts did. Passover, of course, spoke of Christ. The first fruit speaks not only of Christ, of his resurrection, that he would rise again the day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, but the, the fact that the um, first fruits was offered to the Lord meant that the rest of the harvest was sitting in the field. It was the guarantee that when they brought one sheaf into the city, to the temple, that the rest of the harvest was ready and ripe. And so it is with us as believers. Because the Lord Jesus has risen and is in heaven, that we too will be raised with him. It's an absolute guarantee because he is risen from the dead. And then there was the Feast of Weeks, which was to be counted 50 days after the seventh Sabbath in Leviticus 23 and verse 16. So that was Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. So they were gathered here in Pentecost in Jerusalem 50 days after the Passover. And of course you remember that the Lord Jesus was offered as the Lamb of God on Passover. Three days later he rose from the dead, so that's three days. And the Lord Jesus, uh, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, for 40 days he was with the disciples, proving himself alive. So that takes us to another 43 days from the cross, from Passover, leaving just seven days that they waited between the Lord ascending into heaven and them being gathered on the day of Pentecost. And what we discovered here is some wondrous truth. It's only this first section I want to consider just for a few moments of what happened in this room where the disciples were gathered together. Well, the first thing we learn is that they were gathered in one accord, in one place. You know, this word accord, one accord, is a unique expression specifically for believers. It's something that the world doesn't know anything about. They gather in their social groups and their social clubs and they think that they have social adhesion together. But it's nothing like the fellowship of believers. To be gathered together with one accord, in one place, and in one, and having one mind. You know, this word is only used, found 12 times in the scriptures. And 11 of them, it's in Acts. And only once in Romans. And it's been unique to the gathering of believers that we have, that we're gathered here from all diverse walks of life and uh, occupations and what have you. But the believers were just the same in these days and yet we're uniquely accorded together because of our faith and fellowship in the Lord Jesus. That is what brings us together. And so the disciples were gathered here on this day, 50 days after Passover, and uh, the Lord had now ascended into heaven seven days previous, and they were now waiting together as the Lord had told them to. And something tremendous was going to happen. We discovered that the first thing that happened when they were gathered together, there was a sound from heaven, a sound from heaven, a divine sound that all the people in Jerusalem heard. We read that later on as we read. They heard the sound and they gathered together in Jerusalem. You know, it's interesting that this church age in which we're living is unique. It is marked out at the beginning by a divine sound, and it is marked out at the end by a divine sound. 
the trumpet will sound and we who are alive will be caught up to be with the Lord, forever with the Lord. So the church age begins with a sound from God and it's going to conclude with a sound from God as well. And we discover here that there was a rushing mighty wind as they were gathered together. And of course the wind is used here as a picture of the Spirit of God that God is going to send upon the apostles and all those who are going to believe uh, upon him. Up to this point, the Spirit of God had never been given to an individual permanently. There were occasions in the Old Testament when those the, the Spirit of God came upon individuals at various times. We think of Samson, that God empowered him by his Spirit to do the mighty things that he did. David prayed to the Lord that God wouldn't allow his spirit to depart from him. But the spirit was not with them all of the time. Here was something unique that God was going to start. It had never happened before. It had not been foretold by the prophets. They were together with one accord. And there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Wind indeed was speakers of the spirit. It's unpredictability. It's sovereignty. The Lord spoke to Nicodemus, didn't he, about the wind? He says, you can't see it, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going. And that's how God works. Sometimes we don't understand the way that God works. We don't understand where things have come from or how things are going to turn out. We certainly didn't expect this tonight, did we? Or this whole year that we've endured and we've gone through. Perhaps we might feel discouraged that we thought we were uh, engaged in the work of the Lord, we were engaged in evangelism and children's work, and it's all suddenly halted because of this pandemic that's come upon us all. But it's not just us. It's hard to get our head around, isn't it, that those of family in Angola and those around the world are affected and none have been able to have Sunday schools or engage with open-air outreach, whether it be in America, South America, India, all around the world this has affected every one of us. But you know, we're encouraged, as we thought at the very beginning, the Lord Jesus says, I will build my church. The Lord knew this was going to come along. It came along before. A hundred years ago, didn't it? In 1918, there was a great pandemic, all before our lifetimes, and we thought things like this would never happen. But the Lord knows, and the Lord allows these things for a purpose. But the Lord will not be deterred from his purpose. He says, I will build my church. We should take encouragement from that. The work of God will be finished. It will be accomplished. The, the, the gospel will be preached. And God's purpose and timing is perfect. Nothing will hinder it. And nothing is a surprise to God. Even though we don't know where it comes from. Where things happen or why they happen. And so the, the, the spirit of God was to come upon these apostles in a room. In the, in the sphere of a wind. It's unpredictable. But sovereign. In the scriptures, the, the Spirit of God is also referred to in pictures as oil and fire and water. And these are other wonderful pictures that God uses of the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God, when the sound came upon the disciples that were gathered together in, in this room at Pentecost, they, uh, it filled the room and it, we see that there were divided tongues as of fire rest upon each of their heads. So Peter was going to stand up and preach the gospel, but he wasn't the only one. God was going to use all of the apostles for his purpose in preaching the gospel. Isn't that encouraging that God uses every one of us? It will be used of him 
for his purposes. God has a unique purpose and work for every one of us to do. Not one of these apostles were, were left out. Peter was named as, to begin with by the Lord, but the commission was to all of the apostles, and they all preached on the day of Pentecost. They all had a work to do. They all began to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. But what, what wondrous sign was taking place here in this upper room? Well, if you can picture it, there was a sound and there was a rushing wind, a sound as a wind, and they saw these tongues of fire resting upon their heads. It wasn't fire. You read the word of God carefully. It says, as of fire. Probably what it looked like. It wasn't actually fire. It looked like it, and it rested upon them. You remember God uses pictures like this. He used the picture of a dove to rest upon the Lord Jesus when he was baptized. A visible sign that the Spirit had come upon him. And here we see that the tongues had come upon the apostles, each one individually. And the tongues were going to be for a purpose. They were going to speak of speech. That's what we do with tongues. It's that sort of tongue. You know, James tells us a lot about the tongue. It's only a little member, but it can do great things. You know, if you have a great ship, the greatest of all the ships, they are turned by a tiny rudder at the back. And you can have a really powerful, running, fast horse. Sophie will tell you about that. A powerful horse. And it will be turned by a little tiny bit of metal in its mouth. And yet, a little piece in its mouth can turn the whole horse and stop it. And so our tongues are like that. They can uh, do great damage, can't they? And they can do great blessing. They can spread the gospel. Or they can cause uh, strife, and uh, um, or they can tell lies. Our little tongues can do all things. And James tells us and warns us that sadly we can't always control our tongue. We should. But if we can, then we're a perfect man, James tells us. But this was speaking of language. Not so much how we use our tongue, but the language. It was going to speak about the language that they were going to be able to use. God was going to perform a wondrous miracle... For a purpose, it was so that they could speak and that others could understand what they were saying. And we discovered that when they were filled with, uh, or when the tongues of fire came upon them, as that were as of fire, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it was then that they began to speak in languages. It wasn't gibberish. It wasn't what so many today call speaking in tongues. It's gibberish and it has no interpretation. No, this was for a specific reason and it was a language, as we see very clearly. And they understood what was said and that was what caused the confusion. And this had been promised again by the Lord as he promised he would build his church. He also promised that, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, or another helper. And he says, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, says the Lord. That's of course from John chapter 14 and verse 16. David, when he was indwelt by the Spirit of God, it didn't retain with him. 
that the Lord is promising his disciples and those who come to believe in him, he says, I'm going to go away. And he'd been gone seven days. And he says, when I go, I will pray the Father and he will send you a helper. One to be with you, the spirit of truth. And he will come and indwell you. He will seal you. And he will always be with you, not just for this life, but forever. God will dwell in us, the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth will come and will reveal the word of truth to us. Give us an appetite for the scriptures. Help us to live for the Lord. Help us to be a witness for him. How encouraging to know that the Lord has not left us alone. He has not left us on our own to sort ourselves out. He has sent the Spirit of God to indwell us, to empower us, to help us, to teach us. That when we read the Scriptures, it's the Spirit of God that reveals Christ to us. Well, when these here were gathered together, and uh, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they for themselves seen the visible sign of that which they were going to be able to do, to speak in other languages that they had not been taught. Have you ever tried to learn another language? I know many of you do at school. Something that's uh, very difficult, isn't it, to learn another language. Some of us have enough trouble learning our own native language. But these were able to speak and they'd never been taught. They were able to stand up and they were able to speak in Jerusalem and everybody else there heard and understood what they were saying. Why did they speak in tongues? Why did they speak in different languages? Well, we read why, didn't we? Because it tells us that the Jews were gathered from every nation. And it says they all heard the gospel in their own language. Verse 6, look. Everyone heard them speak in their own language. And they were amazed. It says they were confused. What's going on here, they thought. Here we are gathered. They've come from all different countries because we know that the Jews... Uh, not just those that were born in Israel, but throughout the world now, and they all speak different languages. And they were all gathered to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks at Pentecost, and Paul was able to preach, Peter rather was able to preach, and all the apostles, they all preached, and everyone heard in their own language. And they understood what Peter was preaching on this day. There was two things to be noted about those that were there. 3,000 ultimately were going to be saved, but what sort of people were there? There were those around the cross that were drunk and mocked the Lord, and he became the son of the drunkards. But here, Luke tells us that they were devout men, pious. They were those who showed a reverence for God, a reverence for the Scriptures, and Peter was to stand up and preach to them and to make them realise that they had been responsible for crucifying the Prince of Life, their Messiah. And that was what was going to bring conviction in their hearts. But they were men who were, and women, who were reverence for God. How that's changing in our own country. So many today don't have a reverence for God. When we preach the gospel, this is an absolute prerequisite, absolutely essential. Hebrews tells us that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. 
must have a reference for God, must believe God, and believe the word and the record that's given. And so we discovered here that the people were confused. No wonder they were confused, they never heard anything like it. They were there with all different dialects and languages, and they all understood. God, in his grace, made it clear and plain so that everyone that was there would be without excuse. They heard, they understood. There'll be nobody saying, what did he say? I didn't understand it. They all understood. Only God could have done that. Only God could have changed their understanding so they understood in their own language. It's a reversal of what God did, of course, in Genesis chapter 11, where there the people had one language and one political system and one tower and one name that they wanted to build and to make. And God says, I will confound their languages. And they were then had many languages. And they woke up in the morning and they went to build their bricks and they went to ask for a trowel or whatever they asked their colleagues for and they suddenly discovered that they couldn't understand each other at all. And so they had to get together in groups with those that they did understand. And you ask your teacher at school, if you look it up, why is it, if everyone just evolved, we have so many languages? You know, the world has no answer for that. The only answer is found in Genesis chapter 11. Because one thing you can't do, God confounded their languages and it cannot be undone. You cannot teach a child another language other than its native language. You might be able to teach it another one, but it will always instinctively learn the language that its parents speak. And so it's impossible to undo what God has done. And so it stood for all this time that the languages have been confounded. But here at Pentecost, when God wanted them to, to understand, he reversed what he'd done in Babel. And they all understood because they were speaking as if they were speaking in their own language. And the result was this, that the gospel was preached on this first day of the church, what the Lord was going to build. And what did Peter first of all preach to them when he had expounded what they'd done concerning the Son of God had crucified him, they'd put him to death, they had rejected him. Peter said the first thing you need to do is to repent. You know, many today, that's very unpopular. They like a, a populist gospel, one that's going to make them feel good, a message that motivates them and is not offensive. But you know, John the Baptist didn't begin like that. When he began his preaching at the beginning of the kingdom of, of heaven uh, that was to be established on earth that we've been looking at in Matthew, that the people ultimately, the Jews, rejected, his message to begin with was to repent for the remission of sins and be baptised. And he was baptizing in the Jordan River those who repented of their sin and had a fear of God. Now God is starting something new. He's starting the church age. But the beginning is just the same. Men and women, boys and girls, have to repent. That's to have a complete change of thinking about ourselves, our sin, and ourselves toward God. And Peter said, repent every one of you. And those that believed the preaching that uh, Peter had presented to them, those that gladly received his word, were baptised. And we read that they continued because their lives were changed. They were genuine. There were many that say they're Christians, but they're not genuine. Those who were genuine were baptised. And they continued in the apostles' doctrine. And they continued in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Of course, that's the ideal. 
doesn't always happen, of course, and it's true in the scriptures. There are many that turn back for the love for the world, and so we're not going to be surprised at that. But genuine conversion in the things of God will bring about, firstly, repentance, and then faith in Christ, that he is the Son of God. As Peter confessed, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that will bring about, having been sealed by the Spirit of God from the moment they first believed, a continuance. Might we be encouraged to continue, even in difficult times, to realise what we have first believed, and to continue in that, to continue in our faith, to continue in our Christian walk uh, before the Lord. And uh, no wonder when Peter preached in this way, to him were given the keys of the kingdom. To him he opened up the way to God. He preached. It was through his preaching that it was through God's action and work in their hearts that they were saved. How could they be saved? How could they, how could it be of Peter? Because these people that were at Pentecost, as far as the scriptures were concerned, were dead people. I don't mean physically dead. The Bible tells us that if we're not a Christian, we're dead in trespasses and in sins. And if we become a Christian, Paul then says, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but now God has made us alive. Well, if you want to picture what took place at Pentecost, I've mentioned this for a long time actually, but you go back and have a read afterwards in your Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 37. What do you read there in Ezekiel chapter 37? You see a wonderful picture of Pentecost and the way that God worked on that day and the way that he works today. What did Ezekiel see in that valley? He saw a valley full of dry bones. Well, he was speaking of Israel in the future day. But the principle is the same. He saw a valley of dead bones. And God says, can these live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, only thou knowest. And that's what we see today. We see a world who are spiritually dead. Can they live? Well, not of our own efforts. The Lord says, can they live? What does he tell Ezekiel to do in Ezekiel 37? He tells him to preach. To preach to dead, dry, empty bones in a valley. Ezekiel preaches. And what happens? God sends his wind and his spirit. And it says he brings them together. He put life in those bones in the valley of Ezekiel 37. And they stood up an exceeding great army. And that's exactly what happened here at Pentecost. Peter preached to those who were lost, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. And when they repented of their sin, it was God who put his spirit within them. And they stood up that day, 3,000 in number. It was a work of God. It was a spiritual and divine work, as is the salvation of every individual, every boy or girl. No one's ever saved because of anything that we have ever done. Praise God for that. They're saved because of the grace and of the work of God. You know, it's a wondrous thing that God uses us in his service. He has chosen to use the disciples and to use his people that we should be witnesses for him. But the work of salvation is of God. It is by his sovereign will. In other words, you know, God doesn't need us, but he uses us. And if we see a lot of people saved, it's not because of our merit. The same as if we don't see them saved, it's not necessarily because of our failing. It could be. But you know, it's not because of, it's not any pride in ourselves that anyone's going to be saved. God asks us to be faithful, to preach as Peter did on the day of Pentecost. We have a message. 
We have a message to preach, to, to preach Christ, that he is the son of the living God, that he is alive and risen, and people need to repent of their sin and to turn to God. And it's left with God to do the rest. We preach, and these people of Pentecost, these devout men and women that had a fear of God and a reverence for the scriptures, they believed. We're living in a day when we don't see so many devout people. You know, there weren't that many in, our, in the scriptures. It was only said of a few people, you know, who were devout. Simeon was devout, remember, at the birth of the Lord. The few that were devout here at Pentecost, those that took the body of Stephen when he had been stoned to death, it says, they were devout men, Christians, believers, that took up his body. Only a few that were noted in the scriptures as devout, as reverencing God, so it is today, only a few. But might the Lord help us and encourage us to be faithful witnesses for him, to continue, but to appreciate what God has started. He will finish it. It will be complete. A pandemic will not discourage it, will not dissuade it from being completed. God will fulfill his purposes. And for you and I, he has indwelt us by his spirit that God should God's Spirit should eternally be with us to comfort us, to help us, to teach us, to be the guarantee that we are eternally secure. One mighty apostle tells us that we are, he says, the temple of the living God. God dwells in us by his Spirit. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you, I will be a father to you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, of course. What a tremendous thing that God has started all those years ago on the day of Pentecost. And many, many have been saved since, and many are continuing to be saved. Around the world, God is working, and in the will of the Lord, we'll consider next month, how it's going to conclude and what we can expect from the days that will conclude. Not the, not the tribulation, we're not looking at prophecy next, next time, we've already looked at that. But the church, what is, what is it going to be for the church to be with Christ? What's going to be our position? And uh, we should look forward to seeing how God is going to conclude this period of historical time that we are living in. Might the Lord just bless his word and encourage us being together this evening, children of Christ.